We're back live with the second part of our Super Bumper Review Show. We, of course, the TN Tides podcast for Great British Wrestling, featured for British, uh, Great British Wrestling, as featured on BodySound.net and the uh, Jonas Podcasting Network. I'm joined by two fantastic guests. I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. Mark, would you like to go first? Yes, absolutely. My name is Mark O'Brien. Now I've been writing with Body Slam and wrestling at various different promotions and websites the past, uh, say, six months or so. I've appeared sporadically with yourself, Andy, covering primarily Irish uh, wrestling shows and be it OTT, Finan- uh, Fight Factory Pro Wrestling, Titanic, or um, more recently, Phoenix Wrestling down in Cork as well. So, yeah, I- I've been over with uh, Kieran uh, last weekend over in London at the Royal Quest shows. Um, Andy's very kindly invited us on today to kind of run through our thoughts and what, how, how the shows went. Yeah, and I'm a Kieran RH. I'm a for Wrestle In at Wrestle I Double N. Uh, I've got the Noob Japan podcast where we just each episode we dive into a different wrestler that's got some history in Japan, talk about who they are and everything. Uh, and I'm always posting tons of uh, mostly New Japan content on my Twitter at Kieran RH93. Super, and I, of course, uh, Mr. Andrew Moore and D2 Most. I am the British and European wrestling content provider for Bodyslam.net, and a Teen Ties podcast is available via the Bodyslam.net YouTube channel, as well as the Jonas Podcasting Network, where we have huge amounts of amazing content on both of those platforms. Uh, we're here today, we're going to be talking about WXW's uh, World Tag Team Festival, the Night 2 and night three uh, shows. I did night one as well as the Femme Fatale show, show earlier with Big Daddy Dan, who did the 1PW review. Kieran and Mark are going to be telling us all about New Japan Royal Quest night one and night two. I'm super stoked to hear about both of these uh, incredible nights. Uh, do, do you want to just give me a, like a quick, what, what were your thoughts of the venue and everything like that now? Yeah, Kieran, I'll let you go, go first. You probably yeah, I, I've been there. I do, yeah. I've been there before for a Ring of Honor show, actually. It was a very similar setup. Um, I don't. I feel like it's quite good. You're always on top of the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's not a bad seat in the house. Me and Mark were, luckily, we were in the front row both nights. Uh, I, I ended up in the same seat both nights. Mark was opposite me the second yeah. night. Um, but, yeah, no, a cracking time. The atmosphere was electric, as you'd expect from a British wrestling crowd that's been devoid of, you know, New Japan talent for a few years now. Um, yeah, it was a fucking tremendous weekend. Uh, I hope I'm allowed to swear. Sorry. Um, yes you are <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a, it was a fantastic weekend you know it was great to have so much talent back over and i feel like they really all took that extra step to give the london crowd something special yeah i completely agree and completely exceeded my expectations um it was incredibly well run by the rev pro and new japan guys uh, i think the rev pro crew be it from the london school wrestling the portsmouth school wrestling really went out of the way to make everybody feel welcome Um, everything incredibly well organized Um, the meet and greets beforehand both days were very smoothly run uh both sets of professional wrestlers in the days were very friendly accommodating and uh, some were vivid visibly very hungover but which is funny um a couple of the bullet club guys were quite abusive which i enjoyed um but it was, yeah, it was fantastic, really good. And I, as the shows themselves exceeded all my expectations because outside of the FTR Aussie Open match, I wasn't sure what to expect as some of the matches were kind of similar from day to day. Um, but again, they really went out of the way to kind of put on a show for the fans and really interact during matches and make people have fun in the audience as well. That's something to hear. Uh, I was in Oberhausen, which is the usual venue for WXW. It's kind of like their home is the Turban Hala. It is a... Uh, Great little warehouse venue, a good packed out for both night two and night one. Night three actually dropped off a little bit on the attendance wise, but they missed 
probably the best show of the weekend. So that's their fault and not ours. And uh, it was a fantastic weekend. It just kind of kicked off on the second night. It was Violence Is Forever versus Irie, uh, Shigehiro Irie and uh, Fuminori Abbey, who are Japanese wrestlers from... Uh, I know Fuminori Abbey is big Japan. Uh, Shige, is he uh, I think freedom? He's in, I think he's more independent than anything, maybe. I'm yeah. not sure if he's specifically with someone. Yeah, he, he's actually been over to Europe quite a few times, and you get to see him a lot in progress uh, a couple of years ago, and he's been doing great work with WXW. May kicked off the uh, show against Fuminori, uh, sorry, against Kevin Q and Dominic Garini. Violence is forever. This was brutal. This was one hell of a way to kick off uh, night two. These guys literally kicked the crap out of each other. At one point, Fuminari Abe, he headbutted Kevin Q so hard, Kevin Q was literally pissing down with blood down his face. It was uh, a violent encounter, but it was so good as well. And the crowd at the Turban Heart, they ate up every minute of it and for an opening match to actually receive a standing ovation is something to behold i've, I've never seen i've never been to a show where the actual opening matches received a standing ovation which uh you know was fully deserved because this was strong style i guess at its best uh mixed with a bit of american independent wrestling both of these teams were just really really good uh it was eventually uh Violence is Forever, who picked up the win. It was their first win of the tournament. Uh, and I'll go over the tables right at the end of the this review. Uh, the tag team champions were out next. Rotten Flot, uh, which is rotten and disgusting. They took on Amboss, uh, a team of Robert Dreisker and Icarus, who usually partners with the Arrows of Hungary. But due to the fact that... Uh, his partner's been injured. It was Robert Dreisker who took his place. You would never know that they weren't a proper tag team, though, because Robert Dreisker just does everything that Dover needed, would usually do for Icarus. Icarus flies around the ring. He's got great technical wrestling. Robert Dreisker is one of the best big guys in Europe. He really knows how to use his weight well. And uh, Rotten Flot, who are usually despised by the crowd are less despised than Amboss currently. So they were getting the uh, cheers and the crowd support. Uh, it's kind of just spilled into the uh, crowd very early on, and eventually both teams got counted out. Oh, no, sorry. They had tied Nikita Charisma's hands to the post, and while they were beating uh, Michael Schenkenberg, they got counted out, and Charisma had slid back into the ring with his hands still tied to the post, and managed to get the victory for his team. So that was quite unique. I've never seen that done before in a match. Uh, it was Chris Brooks and uh, Masahiro Takanashi, uh, the CDK team, Calamari Drunken Kings. They put on a hell of a show in night one, receiving lots of lots of uh, fan support, and they were taking on the uh, French Luchadors, the French Adores, uh, Aguil Blanc and Senza Volto. Uh, I know Senza Volto's done quite a lot uh, around Europe for quite some time. He's got a bit of a name. Aguil Blanc uh, is his young trainee, really starting to make his, his name in Europe. He's been so over with the WWE, uh, WXW audience, and they absolutely kicked ass. They just... Uh, 
this was another incredible match that probably only went about 13 minutes because every match had a 15 minute time limit which i kind of enjoyed because no match overstayed its welcome and really great match which sends volto and Igor blanc picked up the win in and uh again the you know, there was at least half the audience were off their feet for that one as well. Uh, we were treated to Lavaniel having to overcome Norman Harris's goons, which are Dante Calebro and Joe Keys, who I believe are ROH or former ROH trainees. Uh, so they had been over in WXW as part of the wildcard show, which I'm not going to be reviewing for this one. Otherwise, we'll be here forever. Uh, we then had the winner of the Femme Fatale, uh, which was Alice Inc. versus the WXW champion, the witch bitch of pro wrestling, Baby Allison. This was short, very, very short. And I mean like five minutes, maybe. And Alice Inc. did come away with the victory in another superb match. Uh, one match I did miss out on actually was Sanity. Uh, Eric Young over teaming with uh, Axel Tiska and they were supposed to be taking on the Pretty Bastards but the Pretty Bastards had some sort of falling out during night one so Maggot uh, came down to the ring without Ahura and despite some little bits of flurry in offense pretty much got squashed by uh, the tag team of Sanity Axeman and uh Eric Young, uh, Maggot still got a nice uh, applause from the crowd. Uh, then it was the main event of the show, uh, which turned was Tristan Archer defending the WXW Unified World Championship against Speedball Mike Bailey. And Speedball Mike Bailey, he really has a great match anytime he's. Uh, mm performing there's literally no bad matches people can have and him and that tristan archer really absolutely killed it i would probably say the match that people had with bobby guns was a little bit better but uh this was still an amazing match altogether and uh, just such a great second night to really solidify just how good this tournament was going to be by the end of it uh, due to the results of the tag team matches, every team had three points on the board. So it was literally all to play for on the final night, night three. And I will get to that once uh, Mark and uh, Kieran tell us about uh, Royal Quest. Is there any questions you'd like to ask about some of the matches? What, WXW matches? I, I didn't yeah. even know. I, it, was, it was their big tag week tournament. I didn't even know it was going on because I was just so... Uh... So I invested in coming in for, for New Japan. New Japan's my bread and butter. Um, uh, I know it's like their biggest weekend and lots of people do go over from Europe, like yourself going over, I imagine, from the UK somewhere to flying over to Germany for, you know, I know lots of you guys, K guys do that specifically for this weekend. Mm, yeah, and you could tell that because, yeah, I met so many uh, British fans out there, which was quite surprising. <laughs> yeah. I really wasn't expecting it, and uh, everyone was just so nice as well. I, I did go have dinners during the breaks with many of the uh, other fans, and we just talked about things. And literally everybody asked if they would go back for 16 Carat next year. Everybody said, yeah, we're coming back for 16 <laughs> Carat. Brilliant. Uh, 
on my star rating, we give a sugar rating. We have tea and tie, so we put sugar in our tea, and uh, I would give this one four sugars. It was a great show. Go on, lads. Tell me about New Japan. Yeah, well, before I, even further, I was delighted to see at the weekend, like, LJ Cleary and Manic DeReese and others were making appearances across the show. Like, I'd know, I knew LJ was heading over to some training with them that. Um, but, like, here on my kind of focus for the whole weekend was very much getting excited about Royal Quest. Um, and then even, I know a few people who are competing on the 1PW show. So, like, for me, it was kind of just an external, outside of the UK show that wasn't really on my periphery. But delighted to hear it went so well. Um, and the amount of people, like, you were even saying yourself how well you're treated by the WXW people um, mm. you know, on the media point of view. So I'm delighted everything went well. Um, really look forward to hearing how this 16 current gold tournament goes next for you. Um, yeah, the, the Royal Quest show, as like as we touched on earlier, Kieran was uh, lucky or unfortunate enough to sit beside me for uh, the first night. Um, I was, uh, he was, I, it was actually it was brilliant to meet somebody um, who you kind of follow online or you kind of follow the work be it from wrestling or if you're on Twitter as well, Kieran. Um, just for somebody who's got a far more rounded and informed view particularly around japanese wrestling um like obviously my, my kind of priorities would have been attending the show mainly for watching aussie open ftr um and i, I love aussie open from watching them with rev pro progress and ott and that and then ftr just think are gods of wrestling to me, to me personally anyway but um no it was brilliant and just in terms of like, even the amount of european people that are regularly kind of competing around the circuit and how well they are featured across both days um be like Dan Maloney, Michael Oku, um, Ricky Knight Jr., and then guys who kind of came on the second day who'd appeared the day before for one PW like Robbie X and that, um, the young the young guns Luke Jacobs, Ethan Allen, and um, before Ethan Allen uh, unfortunately decided to take a step away. It was brilliant to see how well they are featured, and they weren't just brought in as like cannon fodder as such. They were opening matches both across both days, and um, given a big opportunity, a big platform, and that everybody delivered. Um, and it was great because it was such a, a Rev Pro London based audience by and large everybody was familiar with them and with their work um and it was great to see on the second day someone mixing up with the more japanese talent as well um that was kind of a, one of the major highlights for me just seeing how they weren't just kind of shoved aside as a token match they were featured well um and hopefully most of them can be like the likes of dan maloney hopefully he can feature in future new japan shows or he might get an opportunity elsewhere off the back of that so no, i was i c- couldn't have been happier with it i hope you've the same kieran without kind of that front yeah no i loved it obviously rev pro is my local promotion I, i've not missed the york hall show in about six seven years you know yeah. I'll, I'll go other shows card dependent and everything so seeing guys like you know like you say aussie open i've been watching them since they hit the uk however many years ago now and you yeah. know they had that big match at royal quest one and you was like okay they're off to japan now surely they're on the plane and then you know yeah uh davis gets injured and then the pandemic happens and now things have opened up a bit and they're winning yeah. the strong tag titles and the united empire and this is such a big monumental moment for them this match versus FTR. yeah you know they're, they're, they're yeah. also clearly they're also clearly hyped for it like every day on twitter the ftr lads were putting over aussie open saying we you are the future but we're the present mm-hmm. you know aussie open a, a big big platform for them and they yeah. like they they knew how important it was to all of them and they fucking they went in man over half an hour like geez and it, 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 the match itself like the i say for about up till that match the whole first night of the show everybody was it was almost like a respectful enjoyable show up to that point but as soon as those two teams came out of the for the main event it with the whole atmosphere of the place changed everybody suddenly went from seating to standing for nearly the whole half an hour it felt the closest thing to like you find like a football match i thought 
um the second had dueling chance it was very like almost tribalistic and like mm-hmm. myself included i was i was nearly in tears <laughs> oh i was in tears at the end like but uh that's that's neither here nor there um but it was like it was brilliant i couldn't have enjoyed it more um and even like on, on the front of like i've never seen a lot of these guys in person i know kieran you're lucky enough to have seen be it like okada naito tanahashi uh sanada despy um i've never seen them in person i, I couldn't have been more impressed with how much effort they put into both nights, how engaging they were, and how nice they were across like, the both the meet and greets, uh, talking to fans at ringside and things like that. Um, like I, I know you had your um your stuff toy the ta- that uh Takahashi loved um her own move. <laughs> so yeah, so that, that was um I was funny as well. Like I, I, I that was kind of a treat for me just seeing these kind of people that I would have only seen on extremes or like various different promotions. It wouldn't have been as heavily featured. Um, kind of my own wrestling viewings so that that was felt like a really treat. And he felt the likes of when Okada came out, they felt like major stars and um, like really felt like big attractions. Even kind of the presence Tanahashi and Okada had um, just from their entrance, the way they moved in the ring, the way they interacted with the crowd. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, just add something to touch on before the show on night one, actually, Andrew, they had a lovely, um, remembrance for Antonio Inoki who died the night previous um, and obviously with Antonio Inoki and his kind of previous um, fallings out with New Japan it was lovely to see they kind of went to that effort had everybody surrounded the ring played his music did it a, a moment or a minute um, of applause I think it was beforehand then he went at a 10 bell salute and they played his um, his famous music uh, Inoki Bumaye and the whole crowd was clapping along for a good several minutes after that um it was really it was really a nice nice feel good mo- moment obviously for a sad situation but um I think everybody kind of felt good and ready to go after that um it was they had Okada and Tanahashi as the two kind of pillars of New Japan in the ring while everybody else surrendered the ring it was kind of a nice touch as well so um and I, I saw that Noah had a similar tribute at the same time so it was brilliant um just at a high level, those are kind of my immediate kind of takeaways from the shows. I just couldn't have enjoyed it more, as I said. Yeah, no, the, the, obviously you kind of assumed something was going to happen at the top of the show for Antonio and Oki, given the time. Yeah. Um, and it did, and it was like really well done. The 10 bell salute, everyone was dead quiet, and then yeah. everyone was so joyful for the Inoki Bombay theme song and everything yeah. like that. Um, you could see, you know, Tanahashi's always had his uh, disagreements, shall we say, yeah. about Antonio Inoki and Antonio Inoki's philosophies. But Okada's obviously been very outspoken about wanting Inoki to appear in the ring this year in New Japan in some capacity. Uh, of yeah. course, he done a video message for the 50th anniversary. But uh, Okada, looking from pictures and videos, because I was me and Mark were sat behind, we couldn't see their face. Uh, yeah. Okada looked uh, very much like he was holding back tears, if not crying. Yeah. Um, so obviously, it was a special moment to him, and I'm sure they were all over the moon with the reaction they received from the uk audience yeah. because yeah. uh you've got someone like naito who even said in his blog that he um he was surprised that you know so many people knew in- inoki that we an we uber cared. driver yeah yeah that he had an uber driver mentioned to him that inoki had died um like you know so it probably we they i don't think they appreciate just how beloved perhaps they are in other parts of the world yes. new time wrestlers and how far back that extends so for them to have that moment was probably quite nice with them as well as a roster uh yeah. and then yeah then they they kicked it off with gabriel kidd versus dan maloney which i think was the best per, most perfect opening match you could want for a car yeah. like this they just yeah, yeah. batted each other chops sounded like gunshots it was less than 10 minutes i don't think there was a single rest hold they just ran in <laughs> two balls balls smacked the shit out of each other and got the fuck out like it was brilliant yeah absolutely. I, I i loved it I, i'd seen dan maloney the week before at ott and and at tnt recently as well and every match he he's involved in like he just batters the piss out of everybody and he goes balls to the wall there's no 
regard for his own health. And it was good to see Gabriel Kidd, who I know has like stepped away mm-hmm. from wrestling for the last while because he's, he's had some uh, personal issues. But it was pretty. He was fantastic as well. He looked in incredible shape. Um, so it's time off. He's obviously been keeping himself in good nick and training as well. In the meantime, uh, the following that match, we then had Mike Loku and Ricky Knight Jr. and um, the British Cruiserweight Heavyweight Champion. They faced Gideon Gray and Great O'Conn. Um, that, that I really enjoyed. That it was about a twelve-minute match or so, and it was. I hadn't been. I hadn't seen uh, Lord Gideon Gray in person um before and like it was i didn't appreciate how good he is like in terms of his interaction as almost like the perfect pantomime villain um and how uh upper class british he is it's the best <laughs> way it's just the best way i can kind of describe it as an irish person but it was like the bowler had his jacket his walking stick everything was and how elongated he is in terms of um just like talking about great O'Connor's undefeated record in the uk from when he's previously with rev pro like he had the the entire crowd like in the palm of his hand from start to finish. Uh, his in, his comedy interactions during the matches. Um, I actually had never seen him wrestle. Um, I'd obviously just seen him kind of being part outside the ring as again as a comedy character. But he was brilliant at everything he did. Um, and it was getting, and then obviously Ricky Knight Jr., the British heavyweight champion, uh, naturally pinned Gideon Gray as not a full time wrestler. So, but yeah, I, I love that as well. And again, those first two matches really went out of the way to highlight. Uh, standouts and regulars with Rev Pro and got people on the British scene, uh, which was really nice touch from the New Japan crew. Um, yeah, I think w- at one point, uh, I think Okan took like, a bad head collision with Michael Oka at one point, but they kind of worked through that and um, kind of got towards the, towards the finish off the back of that. But again, it could have been better. Really, really enjoyable. Really good tone setting matches to open the show. Yeah, I love Gideon Gray. Like, pantomime villain is very accurate. He's just like, you know, a cheaty, yeah. cheaty, bang, bang villain, just a, char- a children's villain in a TV show. Um, yeah. But he's like when he got announced as be- going to Japan that he was going to be wrestling in Corrigan Hall in a New Japan ring. I was like, this is simultaneously the most ridiculous and best thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, if you've got if you've been going to Rev Pro shows over the years, you would have seen him in a multitude yeah. of different things. And he's just so good at what he does. Like yeah. he's he's oh, superb, incredible. And I really love his commentary because yes. he does commentary for the rev pro uk shows on uh rev pro on demand now and he's yeah i love his commentary the way he whines andy quilden up is just <laughs> just so great but to he, hear just, just watching his mannerisms and how well he's in, able to interact with people like he's naturally like i don't know how he hasn't been looked at as like even for like nxt uk he may have been previously he may have been approached for that or like maybe in the future approach for nxt europe or something but he looks like a natural television villain that could kind of transcend audiences be it over stateside japan uk um like I, i'm not sure what kind of age profile he is uh either so that may be other reasoning around that but he he just looks he was incredibly impressive across both days um mm-hmm. the small things really selling in the outside of the ring how much he interacted with the crowd and like suddenly throw a bit of abuse but i don't know and so he'd come back with a, a witty retort or like he'd be selling and uh, talking about how like how fucked he was and like greater Khan would be outside like fanning him with a t-shirt at one point and um it was brilliant I, I, yeah I was pretty blown away by him um and just how much quality he has and everything he does as a performer um so off the back of that then we went into our, the women's match for the evening it was Alex Windsor and Ava White they beat Jazzy Gabbert and Kanji in six minutes so it was a bit of a strange match this um like obviously like the likes of Ava White this is her, this weekend was a big opportunity moving into the stardom um or some stardom the, the IWGP women's title tournament um and I think we we'd all be familiar with her from very like around the British wrestling scene I can see that she has incredible presence she's worked across Ireland the UK and she's working very regularly against a lot of the top women in, in the UK but I don't know I, th- I thought there was something a bit off in this match it was it was, I, there was a slight disconnect I thought Alex Windsor and 
Jazzy and Kanji were all brilliant. I thought Ava, I don't know, she maybe tried a bit slightly too hard. I think it seemed they went to quite a rushed finish. It seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere. It was kind of five minutes in, suddenly somebody hit a fisherman suplex, and then it was one, two, three, and the whole crowd were like, mm, okay, we thought it just started. Um, I, I think there was murmurings at ringside that somebody had gotten hurt during the match as well, so maybe that explained it. But uh, yeah, what were your thoughts on that match, Kieran? It was a pretty nothing match in the grand yeah, scheme of things, yeah. wasn't it? Like, yeah. it, 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 you know, I deserve a spot, get him on the card, especially for previewing the yeah. second night and everything. I mean, Ava White does have a tremendous look. It's kind of like Charlotte vibes in that she's got yeah. that very, she's a tall lady, uh, big, not in weight, just naturally big bodied yeah. and everything. Like she really stands out in a woman's division, yeah. especially in the UK scene. We don't have anyone like her for sure. Like I see her pro wrestling mm-hmm. Eve all the time. Um, She's got such a distinct presence, but yeah, the, the match wasn't anything anyone's going to be uh, remembering or talking about from all yeah. the matches that happened this weekend. Exactly, exactly. And uh, it was, yeah, it, it did set up somewhat the kind of the Jazzy Gaber, uh, Ava White match of the following day, but there was no tease of it after the match or anything. There was a bit of a tease before the match, kind of slight confrontation, a bit of back and forth, but there was nothing that would like leave you looking for wanting more between the two of them for the following day as a build up almost. Like, whereas every other match, be it Jay White and, um, Tamatonga or like Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. Everybody had a bit of back and forth that they were setting up for the following day because they went to such, it seemed to go to such a rush finish. Like everybody's kind of left and went to the back and that was it. It was, uh, and we we're all a bit slightly bemused, probably the best way to put it at ringside so as to what happened. Um, but following that, we then had Hiromu Takahashi, Sonata and Naito um, versus Zack Sabre Jr., Dookie and El Desperado. Um, now, I know you particularly enjoyed this um, in your interaction with Hiromu. Um, but yeah, it, was a, it was a really good match. And I think the, obviously the, the main focus of this match was to build towards Zack Sabre Jr. and Naito the following night. And obviously with Zack Sabre Jr. being this is his first appearance, if I'm right, in the UK in about five or six years. No, uh, Valentine's Day 2020. I only know okay, that. I, I, I was there and I went to a wrestling show on Valentine's Brilliant. Day. So, you know. No, the, his... the fiance doesn't let me forget that one. Yeah, <laughs> was that was his the... match against Will Osprey? Yeah, exactly. Where Will finally won the British title. Yeah, yeah. It was it was, it was really really enjoyable. Um, so like, it was a good match. Like the, all the crowd liked and enjoyed, but they can kind of tell it was building towards something bigger the following day. Um, like obviously Zack Saber Junior was getting kind of chance to rout, and it was a lot of comedy needling is probably the best way to describe it. Like it was. Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. were like they were teasing tension but almost in like a, trying to wind each other up back and forth way um, which was very enjoyable it wasn't a typical like I'm going to shove you you're going to shove me back type stuff it was just Zack being like a, a, tip, a typical like, yeah, I probably can't say this in a British based podcast but a typical <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> typical kind of London, London <laughs> ma- just a mouthy like mm-hmm. yob is probably the best way to describe it and it was written Naito just like tranquilo it was I really enjoyed that. Um, and again, like there was, I'd never seen like Sonata or, or these people in person. You just, you kind of appreciate when you get to see them up close and we're lucky enough to be ringside, like how incredibly technically excellent everybody was, um, particularly Sonata and Takashi. I was really impressed with Sonata across the whole weekend, even like how he interacted with people at the meet and greets and things like that and how he performed across both nights when he was working with European-based wrestlers. But um, the quality, I really enjoyed in that match. Um, and obviously, there's kind of funny spots with Desperado and whatnot. But it was... Uh, yeah, like the focus, again, was on building towards Naito's Sabre for the, the following night with Naito then picking up the win. Uh, we hit Destino and Dookie for the finish. Uh, but it was a good match. It kind of set up things for the next day. Yeah, no, I love this. This was one of the ones I was most looking forward to. Like, it's a tag match that would happen a hundred times on a tour in New- in Japan, like, building up to 
the match at the end of the tour. But because it was in the UK, I was hoping they'd put in that little bit extra. You know, they, they've got the live crowd cheering that they're not getting in Japan at the moment. Um, and I really think they did step it up. Like, El Desperado is uh, easily one of my favorite wrestlers, perhaps my favorite current active wrestler, because Katsuyori Shibata is kind of, is he, is he not? Um, but, uh, so I was excited to see him. Doki, I absolutely fucking love. It was my first time seeing him because since he joined New Japan, the pandemic started and he hasn't been over. Um, and then, yeah, like, I do love Naito. And th there's not many wrestlers that have better chemistry than Naito and Zach. Yeah. And it's not for, like you said, it's not the, oh, I'm tougher than you. I'm going to get in yeah. your face. It's just the little, like, they just, yeah, needle each other. They just wind each other up because Zach's so easy to ride up and Naito's the complete opposite, you know. Yeah. Naito taking his time walking to the ring, just walk, pretending he's walking, but really he's standing on the spot and not moving. And, you know, Zach's tapping the watch and Zach's lifting up the ring eight, like rope, like, you know, come on. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Hiromu, uh, Sonado, like putting a uh, Zach in the paradise, trying to put Zach in the paradise lock is always a funny moment and everything. And then Desperado, right in front of me and Mark, gets Sonado on the on, on the floor outside of the ring and smashing a chair over his leg. Um, and Sonado stay down. I'm like, Sonado, you're right. And Sonado's like, Nope, not <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was it was exactly what I wanted. It was just a fun six man tag, nothing too yeah. serious. Lots of comedy, but lots of really good wrestling as well. Which is it was just everything I wanted it to be. Yeah, just on that on Zack Sabre Jr. and Naito, I think the best way to describe it was kind of my instant reaction was they didn't appear to be acting. Like, it, do you know what I mean? Like you can kind of a lot of wrestling can be forced at every level, mm -hmm. but it just it, it seemed very incredibly natural. That this is how they would act in a certain situation. If I was trying to get in a fight with you, I would wind you up this way. And it, it just seemed, I think that kind of organic kind of chemistry and organic natural um, interactions kind of just ma it makes for, it, it kind of set up the following day better than would have been if they'd kind of done some sort of cheap angle, I suppose. But like that, that's, that, as they wouldn't fight, that would have had in other companies, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it, it was very enjoyable. And again, it was the show was kind of building at this point. Every match, aside from the women's match, was kind of a strange finish. Every match was kind of building towards semi-main, main and whatnot following that. And there was more and more kind of crowd interaction and more crowd excitement throughout the show as well. Um, so following that, we had Akada and Tomohiro Ishii. Um, they faced um, <laughs> Tito and it was supposed to be Jonah, but he faced some, I think it was flight or visa issues. So he couldn't travel over to the UK. So he was re replaced quite late on by Zach Knight. And uh, people from the UK independent scene would be familiar with him. Um, yeah, so like, Okada came out and he got an incredible reaction. He was even wearing his newly designed robe. I think he only got designed in the last number of years, but it's got all of his title victories kind of inscribed on it, um, which I thought was a nice touch to show that he was taking the show seriously. He wasn't just coming out in a t-shirt or whatnot. Um, he was giving it the full Rainmaker um, presentation. It's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I think that's the good thing about Okada is he doesn't ever not do that. Like, he yeah. is a star. It doesn't yeah. matter whether he's wrestling in, in front of, you know, what was it, 2,000 people in Crystal Palace or he's wrestling yeah. in front of 50,000 people in the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. It gives you the full Okada experience. Yeah, and I, I think I, I was saying to you, like, obviously you'd be, you, were, you were far more in tune with uh, Tito uh, than I'd have been previously. I love, I love gee, oh my God, he was incredible. Like, he was, like, as you you very aptly put during the match, he is another uh, Doctor Death, Steve Williams, and it was it couldn't have been more appropriate for that kind of that um, metaphor or such. But he was incredible from start to finish. His whole his demeanor, his interactions, everything he did was hard hitting, believable, and he's a halfway between like a serious, really hard hitting character. But he's also got that kind of swagger and comedy about him as well. And like I've, I'm surprised he's never been I've, that I'm aware of that he's never been picked up for 
being American, some sort of television product. Um, so I think he's uh, maybe he has, but he's what he brings as a presentation. I think can be easily transferable across a number of different promotions. Yeah, no, I think he he you know he started to get his kind of his, his foot in New Japan strong. He started to pick up pace, and then he got teamed with Jonah, and then you know yeah. the Mighty Don't Neil, Shane Hayes, and Mikey Nichols. Yeah. He yeah. does the G1 tour where he's coupled up with mm-hmm. Jonah, um, and they win. I think pretty much all their tag matches as well for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and all these new guys that are coming over from Strong plus Gideon as well, not from Strong, but have made their ground in Japan. They've totally endeared themselves mm-hmm. to the Japanese audience really quickly yeah. as well. The Japanese audience really spoken to them. But yeah, no, I think Dr. Def Steve Williams, like you said, he's just a ringer for him. He's got the look, the long, <laughs> you know, curly hair as well, the physique yeah. and everything. Um, I think that there's so much potential for him within New Japan. And New Japan are clearly high on him. Like they gave him a singles match versus Okada. They don't yeah. give those away like willy-lilly. Yeah, I think his whole presentation is kind of a, a big physical monster heel. How much he kind of goes back and forth with the crowd in terms of shouting and like, shut up, you. That, even that type of thing that would go over really, really well with the Japanese audience who kind of pre- might appreciate that traditional heel face dynamic. Um, just from my own kind of viewings and whatnot, it's, I, I kind of get that impression anyway. So I think he's he could, when it, hopefully he will, kind of push on and become more of a monster heel. I think he has that potential, particularly in Japan. Um, as kind of organic, homegrown monster heel over there. Um, I, I really enjoyed through this match that, like, the whole way through, they were again kind of building towards the second show the next day between himself and a one-on-one match with Okada. Um, Zach Knight as well. I thought he did really well for somebody who kind of probably to step in like one or two days notice. Um, like I, I know he's Zach Knight on Twitter this past week. He was touching on like a lot of kind of physical and mental health problems he had himself and how delighted he was that he got this opportunity be it late notice or last minute or whatnot but he's still able to be in a position in his life where he was able to turn up for a show like this get placed in a, a, a high level match be it with Tom Hiroishi and Okada and still deliver and perform and not just be um like a, a side fixture of the match he was very much prominent throughout like he Okada or sorry um Ishii picked up the win over Zach uh night towards the end with a brain buster but I think every Within that match, and it was very, it was very giving of Ishii and Okada gave those guys an opportunity to kind of perform and showcase themselves in front of a British audience. But I thought it was a really nice touch. Yeah, like that must have been such a huge deal for Zack Knight, like to step into the ring with Kazuchika Okada. How many people can say they've done that, um, especially yeah. on that late notice as well? Uh, and it, they, he got a few moments in where he got to showcase himself as well. Like, admittedly, when they announced that he was replacing Jonah, I was like, really? Like, you know, yeah, Jonah's, you know, it's very op- complete, like two very different styles of wrestlers and everything, but he considered all things considered. Yeah. I was quite impressed with Zach. Knight. I thought every, everything he did in turn, like everything was tidy. It was, um, physical. He, he was very intense. Um, I, I don't think he could have done much more with what he was given as the opportunity he had. So like, he'll, I'd say he'll definitely get a lot of opportunities at the back of that. Uh, and then at the end of the match, then Yoda Suji, um, you, you guys be familiar with from Rev Pro then came into the match and said tease and set up his match with Tomohiro Ishii the following day as a, he was the, was he the day two replacement for Jonah? If I'm not, if I'm yeah. not wrong, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he came in, kind of t- He came in in his strange half kimono, half off kimono look, and he had like two hairpins in the. I didn't quite get this. I thought it was a bit strange. He came into the ring, dropped one hairpin or dropped both hairpins on the ground, picked up one. Obviously, it's like a tease, like you have one now. We must fight type of thing. Bit strange, but I, I was, I was a bit bemused by that. But again, it was towards, it was target for fans who'd be a lot more familiar obviously with the red pro base and like what i would have been um and would have been more familiar with his his interactions and his work and whatnot but again 
Um, you could, I quite like that every match or most matches seem to be building towards something bigger the following day. There was something because it wasn't live televised in New Japan World. These are almost like it made the shows feel more intimate and special for the UK audience. I thought, um, and those kind of end of match teases kind of really added to that. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's usually what New Japan do long term. You know, they do it over the month of the tour, yeah. but obviously it's back to back nights. So yeah. Uh, building for the next night. In this case, it was obviously Okada versus Tito. They had a bit of a confrontation over the ring ropes. And then, yeah, uh, Yotsuji making a surprise appearance, which was a great replacement for uh, for Jonah, you know, getting an actual another New Japan talent as well. Um, yeah. Consider All things considered, with how little time they would have had to get a replacement, I think we was all over the moon that it was Suji. Yeah. Yeah, again, like that, that's that Rev Pro interaction. They they touched on it during the um, the Gideon Gray and Greater Khan match early in the night. I think you had said that one that there was a manager that came out from the Rev Pro Legion stable came out with them. I would I wasn't aware of his name at the time, but they did touch on the Greater Khan was part of the Legion as well, and the fact that they touched on later on that Suji is part of the Legion. So that nice little interaction with the home base and the guys who've been putting on the show for New Japan again a nice touch from New Japan. I thought. Um, but then following that, we then had Tanahashi. Tamatonga and Hikoleo and Jado uh, then faced the Bullet Club of Jay White, Carl Anderson, and Doc Gallows and Gato. Um, that, that was in twelve minutes. This was a almost a comedy match. I think it was it was really good fun for everybody in attendance. But it was the entrances seem on both sides seem to be have more almost more time than the match did. Um, like again, like a. a the cold bullet club presentation that and like Tanahashi, everything that's all very special, particularly for like a foreign audience such as ourselves who wouldn't have seen these people so regularly. Um, and the match was a lot more centered around like I suppose Jay White like interacting and teasing things, just being like kind of a squirrely heel. Um, and then Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows interacting with the crowd as well. Um, what do you think of the match? I, I I was I enjoyed it for what it was, but I didn't think as a wrestling match it was great as such. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. If you're there live, it was great fun. But if you was watching uh, on New Japan World when that inevitably comes out, it's kind of a nothing match. Yeah. Um, but it was one that I enjoyed being there because of, yeah, all the little interactions. I think Jay White always makes any tag match worth watching because he's just so comical on the uh, the ring ropes. He's always shouting out yeah. stuff. Um, you know, like Luke Gallows is trying to do, uh, like, you know, test the strength, barging into each other with Hikaleo. And Jay White is screaming at the top of his lungs in his Kiwi accent, like, you know, come on, big guy, big guy, yeah. you're the big guy. And if you like to rile up gallows and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. there was some, uh, you know, let's go switchblade, fuck, uh, like yeah, fuck yeah, King yeah. Switch chance, maybe yeah. fuck King Switch, I think yeah. it was a fuck Jay White. And he reacted yeah. to that because he's not used to that. You know, he's popular. Like, yeah, he's not going to get those type of chances in Japan because they're just too kind. Uh, and in the States, Bullet Club, we all love Bullet Club. I love Bullet Club. Jay White's one yeah, of my yeah. favorite wrestlers. I love but, you know, I'm I'm simultaneously ch- chanting "Let's go, Jay White" and "Fuck Jay White" because you know <laughs> both sides of the coin. It's yeah, just yeah. fun, and the way yeah. he's reacting is great. Because like, yeah, he's so he's such a, he's just so good at what he does. Um, yeah, and yeah, like Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows having these little interactions with the crowd. Like, people started chanting for Luke Gallows when he wasn't even in the match, and uh, Carl Anderson's like giving him a hug and stuff like that. Like, it's it was a nothing wrestling match, but there was lots of yeah. fun to be had for the live crowd. Again, it was it was kind of like a pantomime match. Like there was a lot of chance targeted Gallows around his biscuits and gravy fest yeah. character. Like that was kind of again, he wouldn't have that. <laughs> he probably wouldn't have that in the states. Like that's the kind of 
probably a bit more witty chance, a bit more fun chance you probably have over this side of the world. Um, and you could tell they enjoyed it. They enjoyed that interaction. They enjoyed like they, being that kind of pantomime villain character. And they kind of leaned into that rather than focusing on trying to have a technically great wrestling match. And I think the fact that they gave off the impression, like Carl Anderson and Doc Ellis, they don't give a shit. Like they're here to have fun. They don't. They, they don't give a fuck. Like, never, I like they never that, give a shit. That's exactly. And like I know Carl Anderson's touch, like I won't wrestle properly unless it's like five thousand people or something. Well, that's fine. There's two thousand there, but we still had fun. Um so again, like so that match, I again I had fun. it was fun. And again, but on New Japan World it probably won't come across great. But Tanahashi got the pain on Gato after after hitting a high fly low. Um and then after the match they teased more between um Tamatonga and Jay White. I know they've got a, a match coming up, I think, for the World Heavyweight title in the 10th. Monday. Mon- yeah. Monday, yeah, in Sumo mm-hmm. Hall, I think. Yeah. So that's obviously what they're building towards. And again, there was kind of teases for the following night and that as well. Um, they sent you the same match the following night, um, just took away Gato and Jado, which was kind of, we kind of we were sitting at the ringside thinking, like, that's all right, it's a bit lazy. But anyway, um, it was funny, yeah, at the same time. It was enjoyable. And like, it kind of, again, it was the show was building and the, the crowd seemed to be getting hotter as it went along. Um, and then following that, we had a singles match between Will Ospreay and Shoto Umino, like obviously two Rev Pro stalwarts over the past number of years, which is really cool. Uh, Will Ospreay, even though he was at the Rev Pro 10th anniversary show, his entrance, I thought, like he kind of came, well, first of all, he came across like a rock star, a returning, conquering hero almost. Um, I was bringing like the whole way through the match that the Ospreay, 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 the whole way through the match. Um, it was really good. The crowd interaction, crowd really hot for it. It was about fifteen minute match. Um, it was. I wouldn't say it'd be one of Will Ospreay's best matches this year, but it was good. I'd say like a three and a half star, maybe if, if on the Meltzer scale, or whatever they want to call it. Um, and it was good. Like the match was kind of picking up, and then it had somewhat of an abrupt finish. I thought, like it made sense to finish. It was really. I liked it in the sense of he hit a Liger bomb, um, with red shoes. The referee so. He kind of played into that. So after the Liger bomb, he kind of hit a high angle Liger bomb. So he kind of landed quite high in the back and then rolled him over straight away and hit a lot of those quite vicious elbows to the back of the head that he did with Mad Kurt recently. Um, and then showed Umino, or showed a, a Red Shoes Uno rather, um, called off the match and they kind of left it that. And then showed Umino was selling like a concussion or a knock for ages after kind of stumbling around the ring, getting young boys to help him out. Um, it was good. Yeah, like I, I, it was a really good wrestling match. It kind of changed the tone. It kind of brought you back into a wrestling show as well, away from the pantomime. It was good in terms of setting the tone for what was to come after that. Um, I think you you'd said to me beforehand, I think that was originally slotted to be the main event. Um, yeah, it was weird. Like they announced the cards on Twitter and everything. You went onto the website and it had FTR Aussie Open as the main event. And yeah. then, like you know, I've sent it to friends on chatting on Discord and stuff. And I've clicked it like a couple of hours later, and they've rearranged it. And then it was Osprey was very clearly the main event. And even in the long detailed description where they do the full match preview, it had like you know FTR will face Aussie Open in the semi main event or the co main event. Uh, and that, so when this wasn't when Osprey and Shotaro was revealed as not being the main event, I was like, fine. Like yeah. FTR and Aussie Open should have always been headlining mm. this. That should have never been in question. Like, yeah. I appreciate Osprey is the returning hero. Uh, the English crowd are going to go wild for him. Uh, he's our boy, and they put him in a big singles match as well, rather than just slotting him into a random match. They've given him shows to Rumino, but fucking FTR and Aussie Open should have always been headlining. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I think thank God they did because like if that had been the finish and that was kind of the end of a show, I think everybody had gone home disappointed. They probably would have yeah. given them an extra more time to kind of build more and done more. But for a fifteen minute match, I. Yeah, it was good. Like, and it, again, it did set you up for what was to come. As but the best way to describe it, Andrew. Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it, it was a it was a wrestling match. Gone yeah. with a pantomime and stuff like that. I will say there was lots of chance for red shoes himself because yeah. the British <laughs> audience, you know, yeah. how often yeah, do we get to see red shoes? Um, and he in the beginning, red shoes was quite fun with it. Like he pretended like he was going to start getting into a fight with Osprey, like putting the fists up and stuff. And then as the match go went on, red shoes was like, "Okay, guys, calm down. Like let's watch let's watch the wrestling, guys." Like he didn't want the attention <laughs> anymore. He wanted it on the wrestlers, you know. What I quite enjoy the red shoes, like obviously, like he came out as like a special attraction for the semi main and main on both days. But the small things, like he's obviously used to working a higher quality of actual physical ring, and I think it was quite noticeable every day you come out. Like it's been touched on a few different places online since then. Both every match he was involved in, he would find something wrong with the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, be it like, can you know, I find like kind of loose boards or he thought the ropes weren't tight? So the concept, the guy, the poor guy sitting in front of us, like directly in front of we were the first night, they were like being run ragged, having to find wrenches to tighten up the ropes throughout in the middle of matches. Like red shows, forget about what's going on in the ring, turn to the ring crew, like start shaking, shake tighter, tighter. Um, but yeah, like I, was, I, I thought that was pretty cool just in terms of the kind of shows like the the standing he has that he can kind of completely go off script and not not worry about what's in front of him, but he's going to prioritize the safety and quality of what's. Of the of what the wrestlers kind of can do, um. So I, I didn't think that was great. Like obviously, I, I got a bit of coverage online. I, I don't know if you saw that the kind of quality of the ring, but um, yeah. Red shoes, red shoes did enjoy kind of the crowd interactions as well. And I think like it's obviously a special moment for him getting to. I don't know if he's done it before, but getting to referee his son, um, back at almost like home base for Shota Umino as well. So that was really cool. Um, and then off the back of that, then we are into the the main event and like. The atmosphere in the building just immediately changed once Red Shoes and all the and Will and Shota Umino just left. Like everybody suddenly went from like a relaxed New Japan, like enjoyable wrestling show, to suddenly like shit. Okay, here we go. Right. Okay. And like I was fucking, I was a complete fanboy with wearing an FTR t-shirt. I had a second t-shirt in front of the barricade just in case he looked at me, give him a high five type thing. Um, it was brilliant. Like I'm obviously, like, I probably. Like, ruined kieran's eardrum shouting so much but it was fucking <laughs> it was brilliant I, I couldn't have enjoyed it more like it was it was tense it was like a cup final is the best way to describe it. you had very clearly two different uh cohorts of fans like kieran you were chatting for aussie open i was chatting for ftr and it was everywhere like people behind me were aussie open guys to my right were ftr and the array of different types of chants throughout even before the match before they even touch was amazing um both entrances also kind of gave for great crowd interaction with the Aussie Open entrance, like Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. And like, I think whole, all the crowd were chanting along for that. And then the FTR kind of 80s, 70s piano type music, like everybody was chanting along for that. And Dax and Cash are enjoying it more and more. So they spent about 20 minutes in the crowd um, just <laughs> running around, getting themselves wound up beforehand. But it was it was brilliant. Like I saw like Will Ospreay call it the best tag match he'd ever seen. Um in my like for what I like and what I enjoy in terms of emotional kind of physical wrestling, that would possibly be the best match I've ever seen. Um, and I, I was I was fortunate enough to be uh, in Dallas for Supercard of Honor this year. And I didn't I didn't think it was physically possible for them to top the the FTR Briscoes match, but this was I thought this was a level above just p- possibly in large part I think due to the crowd. And how the anticip- the fact that they were in so- there was so much anticipation and build up for it, and that they were able to deliver, and the crowd added kind of helped galvanize the guys in terms of put more into it. Like they beat the piss out of each other. Like that's, that's not that's not exaggeration. Like two minutes into the match, 
Dax's chest was bleeding like buckets just from the chops from Davis. Like he was, and they had to send two or three young boys to the back to try find towels and tape to kind of stem the blood flow. But it was, um, I was still kind of in shock the following day, like for a day or two after, just kind of <laughs> reflecting on it. Um, like I know, like Dax came out himself and said it may have been his the best match of his career, and he's hoping that being on the coverage from New Japan or whatnot, like that it has that full atmosphere from the crowd involved with, so it's not diluted and the opinions aren't lessened of it. But it was um yeah, it was it was amazing because because we were so close ringside, I was you're almost watching everybody involved in the match, all four participants at all times, to try to hope see, oh please break it up, please be okay. Get off your arse. Come on, let's go. You need to break that pin up. And um, it really it kind of took you out of me anyway. It took me out of the moment of being a wrestling fan at a wrestling show to being like as you would be as a kid almost and kind of you're really hoping for somebody to win like an, an actual competitive real life competition um which was amazing like as a third year old man I, was, I couldn't have thought it was more couldn't have thought it was better um and the ending like the amount of close falls on both ends that you're absolutely convinced was the ending um like i say that all four of them must have been an absolute bit for the whole week um like i know i know like they're all traveling around and performing on shows since then but yes i think i can't quite put into words and obviously that's not great for appearing on a podcast we need to articulate your thoughts but um (laughs) i i couldn't quite put into words how good it was unless you were there to experience it live that's probably my biggest takeaway from kieran I think one of the coolest things as well going into this is that there was not a clear favorite. It could have easily gone either way because, you know, FTR have three different title belts. Aussie Open have the strong titles. You know, there's no reason Aussie Open couldn't have the IWGP titles as well. There's no reason for FTR to necessarily drop the titles at the first defense when New Japan have got these amazing champions, like probably the best tag team in, uh, easily best tag team in the year this year. Um, So it did add that such a level of excitement because you really bit on all these near falls and they were great near falls and you were like okay this is it and you got the the full crowd you know the one two and then the the close kick out and everyone's losing their minds um you know blood all over the place from dax's chest right at the beginning i always say mark davis when people well if i go to a wrestling show and someone's not seen aussie open before not sure mike davis i always say i think he's the only man whose chops could rival rival walters or Gunter, oh, yeah. whatever he's fucking going by these days. Um, I think he's the only man that could rival him in chops. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you know, like one or two chops in, and he split Dax's chest open just by chops. Like that's fucking gnarly. Um, and it wasn't like it wasn't like a small cut. It was gushing. Oh, like it, it was. It was awful. I was like that chest blood. Like it was more of a gusher than any other like head wounds. I think they all were bleeding at one point. But like it was covering everybody who interacted with Dax then following that. Yeah, no, like Mark Davis was, his arm was basically just fucking red at one point or his shoulder and it was just from Dax's fucking chest, let alone Dax's head later in the match and Mark Davis's own head later in the match where he's fucking going full on Ric Flair, basically, um, being stuck in the sharpshooter. I'm sure that'll be a great visual, him stuck in the sharpshooter, leaning for the ropes with the blood, like literally just fucking, he's, you can see more red than you can see his own skin. Um, But yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this does come across because it's so different to being there in person like you know you're excited for the atmosphere uh and how and then watching it back live as well especially because it's going to be on demand it's not going to be live that does take away a lot of the specialness of it you know Mm. um but hopefully people can judge it in that vacuum because yeah Yeah. there's easily you know another match of the year contender right here 
like I, I thought we, you actually touched on that spot with the sharpshooters. It was like Andrew, it was brilliant. Like they both FTR guys had both the Aussie Open guys and sharpshooters, and like Mark Davis was teasing, tapping, and Kyle Fletcher's like, "Don't do it," and grabbing his hand and kind of riled him up. I thought at that point I was like, "Ah, oh, shit, okay, Aussie Open are going to win this. They're going to get out of this somehow and reverse it, and it'll end up being their their finish." Um, but like the fact that it had so many of those moments where you like it convinces you that somebody's going to win it one way or the other. It was. Absolutely magical. Like, and I, I obviously that's my kind of taste in wrestling. But I also thought it was nice that it was Mark Davis who took the pin. Like Kyle Fletcher, quite often is the one who takes the pinfall for any kind of match involving Aussie Open, and he's kind of the fall guy as such because he's smaller. But the fact that it was they hit a big rig on Mark Davis, and they made him run the ropes and go leap like leapfrog and dump up and under after thirty odd minutes of wrestling before hitting the big rig. Um, I thought I thought it was just something different. It was something you didn't expect. We kind of added to the finish. Um. And I think there was also a touch on from about minute 15 to about minute 30, the crowd didn't sit down. Like, it was, I think there was, I can't remember what the spot was, but it was something, there was a, a, this is awesome standing ovation from minute 15, and then nobody resumed their seat. There was no lull. Like, from minute 15 onwards, you thought every movement could have been towards the finish. And it was that sustained anticipation and excitement for 15 minutes straight, building towards a conclusion. I just thought it was. Kind of blew my mind. Um, I think after Kieran left, I was crying. Um, but anyway, that's that's not, I, I'm waiting well, until I, I left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah men don't cry. Um, but it was it was fantastic. And then, yeah, like I, I'm sorry, obviously a bit lost for words, and still. But then after the match, um, FTR then cut a promo, and I know people have kind of got wind of this since that like Dax Harwood shot on Tony Khan, used on TV, you know. But it was very much in the tone of ingest. Like kind of making, kind of having a laugh with the crowd, taking away from the series, as I thought anyway. And then he really went out of the way to put over Aussie Open as a future tight team wrestling. And then he also had a nice touch, like hell, never mind my credibility or my future spot. I think you are. I think he did. He was his wording was, I think you are the best tight team in the world. Correct me, right? I have no idea. I just remember him shooting on Tony, like what he oh, said sorry, about Tony Khan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I'm pretty sure he did. And then Great Khan and Will Osprey then came down to the ring. And they were teasing a handshake between the two teams. And it was funny because Will was right in front of us. And Will was telling Great O'Khan and the Aussie Open what to do. Because they're obviously built... In Will's mind, he's like, no, 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 mind shaking hands. We're building towards tomorrow. So he, I think he was ordering Great O'Khan to go into the ring and stand in between them. Stop that handshake so we can tease a five-on-five match the following day. Which, like, I mean, obviously they're going to shake hands behind stage. But I thought that was really cool that they kind of... Even in the moment, such an emotional moment, they got there still thinking of the bigger picture. We're constantly building. We're constantly staying in character. We're constantly looking towards the future as well. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I mean, I, there's so many superlatives. Um, I've been said about this match. Like, I mean, I've probably tweeted enough about it myself, anyway. So, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah. I, I, I was chatting to Dax afterwards and got gave him a bottle of tequila and stuff like that because it was I thought it was amazing. But um, yeah, that, that that was night one. I think everybody leaving that. We're 45 minutes in now, but everybody leaving that arena that day um was kind of blown away speechless breathless and the best way to describe it like I, I didn't know regardless of what happened on day two that nothing could top that and like what you could just go to day two without expectations and just enjoy it that was kind of my takeaway from day one anyway yeah i i always felt night one had the stronger card 
Um, I saw Zavas say Night 2 had a stronger card. I, I, arguments either way. I just always felt this FTR as the open match was a marquee match. Like, yeah. they sold off Night 1 on off the back of this one match. Like, when Aussie Open were announced for the card and FTR were announced for the shows, like, everyone instantly was like, give us Aussie Open versus FTR. That's all anyone wanted from this weekend <laughs> when those cards yeah. were announced. It's like, yeah. cool, Okada's coming over. Cool, Tanahashi's coming over. Oh, cool, Naito's coming over. Give me FTR. Give me them in the ring with Aussie Open. Um, yeah. And it, it it done everything it needed to. It delivered absolutely. Right. So a couple of questions quickly. Do you think Aussie Open and FDR will be part of New Japan's World Tag League this year? Well, apparently uh, FTR are booked for a show when the World Tag League tours on. So that potentially oh. answers that question, unfortunately. Ooh. Aussie Open have to be. Uh, it's It's been far too long. They should be in there. They should be winning it and maybe do the rematch in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, yeah, my, 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 my thoughts on that in terms of the actual result in the match, I was delighted FTR won, but if it wasn't going to be Aussie Open to beat them, who should? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I thought, like, even like a few months ago, seeing Aussie Open at OTT shows, even back then, I was thinking, yeah, these guys are the ones to um, take the belts and kind of carry forward. Like, I think they should, like, I mean, arguably, they should have been. Um, I, I, like, I mean, FTR still have two sets of belts. Like, and they're probably, they're building towards, I think it's another match with the Briscoes for, in Ring of Honor and, they can drop the AAA tag titles anytime they want because they don't defend them really, and they can try move back in towards the AEW tag title division after that. But if they weren't going to drop them in London to Aussie Open, where do they? Because they haven't been to Japan before. They're not really. They're they've done one on. Dax has done a couple of one on one matches in New Japan Strong. Um, so I I don't really know where they go next. I mean. Is there any kind of obvious tie teams you would think here on that could possibly be the ones to take that off them? No, not at all. But I just think it would be a big shame for FTR to have these titles and not go to Japan. You know, because yeah. yeah. they're they they're not there's nothing difficult to get about them. Once they step in the ring and you watch a match, you know, they're very old school, obviously. You know, everything's yeah. been said about FTR all the time. So in theory, they should be quite popular with the Japanese audience. Yes. Um whether them versus Aussie Open would be the best idea because it would potentially be two new tag teams to the Japanese live crowd at least. You know, yeah. uh, apparently the Japanese crowd are really uh, like the Japanese audience really uh, diligently watch New Japan Strong. To be fair, um, but yeah, there's no obvious tag teams like you've got uh, Great Okan and Jeff Cobb maybe, uh, and obviously they've got the history. They didn't f- yeah. really lose the titles at Forbidden Door, of course. Rocky Romero uh, took yeah. the pin, didn't he? Um, and Great Okan and Jeff Cobb are constantly talking about FTR in their backstage comments, but. Other than that, there's no through and through tag teams. You know, you've got Dangerous Techers, Zack Sabre and Taichi. You can make a LIJ combination between Sonada and Naito or Sonada and Shingo or whatever. But there's no, yeah, outright tag teams at the moment in the New Japan Heavyweight Tag Team Division. I think when you you talked about... Sorry, Andy, after you. My final question was going to be where you think Kid and Umino are on their excursions right now. Can I just say I fucking love Gabriel Kidd. Like I know he had his issues and everything. Um, he's like I've hung out. We um went to a show in Southampton when Alex Coglin was over here because I'm quite friendly with Alex Coglin. Uh, and uh, Gabriel Kidd asked if we could give him a lift from, from Southampton to Heathrow. So we did. Uh, that was quite a long uh, car journey, you know. So I got to know him quite well. Uh, and then um meet, at the meet and greet, I didn't buy a ticket from. Obviously, went over and said hello straight away up out of his seat to uh, congratulate me and my now fiance because we got engaged a few weeks ago. Uh, he's a total thank you very much he's a total sweetheart uh outside ring but he's fucking incredible inside ring mm-hmm. i absolutely love him like that dan maloney match is one of my favorite from the weekend uh he, he looks like a, he looks like a built man as well like, exactly he, i think he's yeah. i think he's set he's done he's ready to go i don't i think maybe 
he, I, I, he's he's not a young lion anymore. He's got his own entrance music. He's got mm. his own gear. He's got a head style, higher style. It's just a matter of where they go from here. Because yeah, with New Japan Strong, it's quite shit in that you see these guys once a month if you're lucky, maybe. Yeah. You know, you get them on a tour in Japan and you're seeing them five days a week because the shows are all streamed live on New Japan World. You get to know these guys a lot quicker when they're in Japan than you do on New Japan Strong. Mm. Um, and Show Rumo feels like he's been here forever, right? Yeah. Like it's been he, long. He was he 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 joined, he came pre-pandemic. Uh mm. the poor fucker, you know. I hopefully he got back to go got to go home back to Japan during the pandemic because yeah, yeah but I think he's now getting he's gotta be getting ready to go back, right? Like yeah. I think, you know, I joke with friends that he was spending all his time having Greg sausage rolls experience the British culture because he was putting on a bit of a belly, but now he's done the old Tanahashi thing where he's put on lots of weight and now he's just ripped. He's got the yeah. six back going. He looks incredible now. Uh, he, yeah, like get, get the guy back to Japan, man. He, he, he suffered mm. enough over here in the UK. I, I met a man there at Limerick show for OTT like back in April, May. And like you said, like he, he was obviously thick trained really well but i thought it was really noticeable how shredded he was at the weekend and like how mm. much of it he actually come across like a star and how well he interacted with the audience around ringside and you can see that like he's obviously like a home audience for him to an extent but and yeah i, I think he's ready to kind of step out into his own do his own thing at any moment like even how well he did a forbidden door and how the match for AEW and how well the match was built around him and chris jericho mm -hmm. in various different spots um yeah, I, I think there's no reason. Even like Suji, I thought he was incredible for a young lion on his excursion. I think he was absolutely amazing the following night. Um, mm -hmm. So we better move on to that, Andrew, I suppose, uh, into the day two. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the day, day two results then. We kind of kicked off the show with Desperado and Dookie. Um, they faced Mike Loku and Robbie X. Uh, Robbie X appeared for one PW, as you probably touched on earlier the night before. That was brilliant. Um, it was really good, as I said earlier, to have the European guys interact directly with, say, such top tier talent um from new japan and like, the result came after nine minutes when Eldest Brado pinned robbie x um robbie x michael oku all had moments to shine and um michael oku was teasing his half crab a few different times at the crowd whole arena was joining in the chance like now we play and things like that um, but i really enjoyed that reset the tone for day two and um, i think everybody was still people who've obviously been there the day before were still on a high from the night previous so really enjoyable great engagement with the crowd and a perfect tone setter i thought yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I love as well. I'm, like I said, big Eldest Barlow fan. He came out with the black and gold gear, which he usually only does for special occasions. Um, and the fact that he just decided to bring that gear for the UK audience, like I lost my shit when he came out on that gear because, yeah, it's usually just the black and white mask. If you're lucky, he might have the bit where his face, his mouth is showing and he's got a paint on. But he bought black and gold gear, which I thought was really fucking cool. Um, and then yeah, it it was just it wasn't it's not going to set the world on fire, but it was a great like yeah. match to just set set the tone for the show, like uh, like Mark said. I, I know we were sitting on opposite sides of the of the ring on day two, and I, I had to leg it after the show to get make my flight to Heathrow. But I did actually notice that straight away, like the how much better his gold gear looks. It just looks it just looked really cool. Or it gave mm -hmm. him a completely different feel and presentation. It made him feel more big deal i thought or something to the i was obviously somebody who wouldn't be as familiar with his work um but yeah was, that's something I, I was thinking at the time as well and then following that we moved on to lij sonata and hiromu takahashi faced the young guns uh ethan allen and luke jacobs in for and um in 14 minutes the result came when sonata beat allen with the skull end it was really cool to see ethan allen back and i know he's now taking time to step away because he doesn't think his knee injury is right but i've seen luke jacobs frequently with um be it with He's obviously competed with Rev Pro and Progress and various different promotions. Every time I see him, I think he's incredibly impressive. Not only it's how physically he is and everything, his whole 
demeanor, how he interacts, like for such a young guy, uh, and how fearless he comes across. But Ethan Allen, I thought, like, I got plenty of time to shine as well. I thought it was brilliant. Um, I thought Sonata went really out of his way just from watching. Like he he seems to be the match for most of it, and he seemed to really go out of his way to let these guys not let them, but like kind of let them express themselves and show how good they are in front of their home audience. Um, I think I said at the top of the show, I thought Sonata as a New Japan wrestler for somebody I wouldn't have been as familiar with. He was, he probably made the biggest impression on me. Um, just how professional, how good he is at literally everything. He, his whole presentation, how he looks, how he enters, how he interacts with everybody, be it from the meeting grade and in the ring, and I'm with the fans at ringside, kind of telling you he was shagged on the Saturday. Um, I thought he was, that was brilliant at this as well. Yeah, uh, like it was great to see Ethan Allen back because obviously he has been injured for so long. It's a shame that he has now had to step aside again, like pretty much immediately. But, you know, hopefully this New Japan booking does wonders for him long term. Uh, but yeah, I love Luke Jacobs as well. Uh, it's funny that he's the British Cruiserweight Champion for Red yeah. Pro because in what world is Luke Jacobs a fucking Cruiserweight? Um, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Is he not a 225 Cruiserweight, though? Is he not a Super Junior Weight? Uh, he, I mean, he's you can... on the edge. See, he's quite, he's slightly, he's very he's slightly, he's slightly short. Like, don't not to be rude in case he's watching this, but like, he's <laughs> he's he's thick. But like, because of his height and stuff, I actually think he probably is around that weight mark. I'd say probably, um, and he's not overly like a muscular guy as well. He's just a guy who goes in there and just beats the piss out of you. A lot of meat. A lot of meat. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's why it's, well, I love him. He's just he's very smash mouth. I just love those guys. They're just straight to the point, you know, just like Brilliant. Dan Maloney, Gabriel Kidd. Uh, yeah. And yeah, they both, they had a great show in Young Guns. Like, they got put in with two top tier New Japan talents as well. Like, it was kind of if you can't, if you can't hang, if you can't do well with Sonado and Hiromu, you're probably not going to do mm. well long term. But like, yeah. they really, sh- they, they, they proved they belong with two of the top guys in New Japan. Yeah. It was, I it was, was going to say, Sorry, well, Tag. Well, I was going to say World Tag League, but what do you reckon to the two young guys becoming the next two British Young Lions? I'd be up for it. I, it. The interesting thing with that is, though, is that when you become a young lion, you're meant to start from scratch, aren't you? Like, yeah. you know, Gabriel Kidd had been wrestling since he was fucking out of the womb, wouldn't he? Like, you know, <laughs> been wrestling since he was a kid. Uh, and, you know, he was quite over with the UK audience popular. He beat Cody Rhodes famously, didn't he, in uh, What Culture, I think? Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then he goes, we're off with Shibata, and it's like, okay, now you start from scratch, and it's worked, you know, Shibata's my all-time favourite wrestler, like, I, I'm not going to disagree with anything the man fucking says, or how he trains his people, um, but yeah, it, whether they would want to or not, uh, but you know, because Luke Jacobs is clearly, you know, beloved by the Red Pro audience, that's the best connection you could possibly have to get into New Japan from the UK, uh, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be delighted to see them both in the New Japan ring in the years to come. Like if, if they get offered to train on a Shibata, just the stories, like obviously like how intense it is, but like the the learning, everybody who's been part of that LA dojo working with Shibata, like I, I, regardless of how long they've been wrestling already and possibly what like income or fame they may have to forego mm-hmm. for the short term, I think it'd be, be hard to say no to that opportunity. Yeah, carry on. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Off the back of that, then we had our um IWGP Women's Tournament opening round match between Jazzy Gabbert and Ava White. Um, this was a lot better than the day before his match. Uh, I thought like it was. Quite tough in the eardrums, um, I may say. Uh, <laughs> sorry, the best way to describe it, it was like it, it's like you know, like a tennis match with the constant grunting and screaming at, at points. But it was, uh, it was, it was actually a lot better. It was um, Jessica Barra beat Ava White in about ten minutes. Um, she had like a Sayoto suplex um, to kind of finish it off. There was one or two kind of scary moments in the match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh, or fucking Ava White just. Dumped Jazzy Gabba like it was she, like, she had her in a nineties all Japan pro wrestling combat. Yeah, it was Kawada. it was fucking got me, man. She had her in a, a pile driver and then like 
forgot to do the pile driver and just dropped her on her head. <laughs> and I was sitting right, right there. I was like, oh my God, she's dead. And then, know, but then I think, what, I think Jazzy Gabbard just got straight up and just dumped her on her head then. And that was the finish. It oh. was, but the, the effort, I think a lot of people have thought that Ava White got injured the day before or took a head knock or something. Cause she, I think she was, came up to the side, ringside people beside right where we were. I was kind of clutching her face. So maybe she got a bang the day before or whatnot. But I thought she was, the effort she put in, really really went out of her way to kind of really step up to the mark like she may not be at that level as of yet but i thought over the two days and just from seeing her kind of around the british and european wrestling scene she has a huge amount of potential um and for like people's perceptions of her i thought she probably went a long way to kind of show that she's more than um like an act as such she can be a wrestler and like she does have a lot of scope for improvement and progressing in um in wrestling might not necessarily be japanese wrestling but there are other avenues you can probably go down future in the future but uh yeah i thought i, I thought it was a good match i quite borrow one or two scary moments and kind of shrill shrieking at various points <laughs> yeah no like we said i think the best thing ava's got going for her at the moment is her look she very much stands out uh and she is very young into her career so if she can put the pieces together you know she's clearly doing something right because she landed this match like how many women in the uk scene would have killed to be in this position um you know maybe alex windsor would have been there if she wasn't the tjpw champion and you know tjpw starred and bushu yada, yada, yada. um but yeah no I, I i got the vibe at one point but i've not seen anyone else say this so maybe i'm fucking just an idiot that at some point jazzy gabbert was just like this doesn't work for me brother like ava right, White, right. at one point you know she goes to run she gets ripped into the corner and she does the old you know uh throws herself off like the top ropes legs over and the person meant to run under and stick their head under and all that and jazzy gabbert just didn't do it and then yeah, ava white turns around and jazzy gabbert's just in the middle of the rings ava white gave her like a little kick to the belly um and then shortly after the finish happened so you know maybe i'm just completely wrong but just at some point it kind of felt to me like jazzy gabbert was like okay enough of this you know right, yeah Let's get, let's get fucking in it. Yeah, let's get yeah it. you know, this isn't going well. Like, you know, uh, Ava White does like a leg scissor thing, like yeah. Booker T style, uh, yeah. that used to do off the ropes. And Jazzy yeah. Gabbard was not in the right position for it at all. So Ava White had to change and stop and everything. It, 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 was, uh, it wasn't the cleanest wrestling match no. you'll see. It wasn't very fluid, no. No, but she'll be, I, I think Ava White will be an awful lot better for the experience those two days. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she will progress a huge amount of the fight. Mm-hmm. But again, like it was, yeah, you, yeah, you kind of nailed, nailed the head there. Um, that she was right in front of me at very different points where like, moves weren't landing, but she was still going, ah! just kind of screaming <laughs> yeah. and shrieking. And like, as if she would, she would do like 20 different movements in the space of about 10 seconds. And every movement had the same grunt and groan. So she obviously was putting a huge amount into it, which is obviously commendable. But I think Jazzy Gaber you probably are right in terms of after a while I was like all right we're slowing this down we're doing what mm-hmm. I want now um which I probably towards the end aside from getting dropped on her head um accidentally probably added towards it. and I also noticed yeah. at the end of the match aside from losing Ava White visibly seemed to be quite annoyed possibly at her, I thought I got the impression she looked to be quite annoyed at herself for possibly a mistake she made and the opportunity she had um but that, that, that was my kind of just individual takeaway I haven't seen it again I haven't seen anybody else kind of a similar view but um yeah, that was women's match. And then following the back of that, we then had uh, the United Empire, Will Ospreay, Greater Khan, Aussie Open, and Gideon Gray. Um, they faced FTR, Ricky Knight Jr., Shota Umino, and Gabriel Kidd. Uh, this is a good match. Really good. Um, but it was United Empire came out all with, with their individual entrances, building up to like a crescendo where they all kind of stand in the ramp and put up their hand signal. And it, they all they came across like a rock band. And again, that, that kind of conquering, returning heroes kind of vibe. Um, again, and particularly off the back of the following, the day previous, rather, with Aussie Open and FTR, 
they both sets of teams, particularly Aussie Open, seemed like a 10 times bigger deal than they had previously. That was just to me anyway, and I thought a few people around me kind of thought, felt the same. Um, I really enjoyed that match, and like the amount of interaction they all have with the crowd around ringside, the amount of interchange they had with the FTR and Aussie Open, the chance going back and forth as well. But also, the amount of, cha- the amount of time the likes of Gabriel Kidd, Ricky Knight Jr., Shota Umino had in the ring, um, as opposed to just being the same kind of Will Ospreay, Dax Harwood every ten minutes, every two minutes, rather. Um, yeah, 16, 50 minutes. Oh, 16 minutes, 50 for that match. Uh, when Great O'Khan pinned Ricky Knight Jr., I think they were teasing towards the Great O'Khan possibly coming back to RevPro. Um, possibly facing Ricky Knight Jr. for a heavyweight title down the line. That was my kind of takeaway from it at the time. Don't know what you thought, Kieran. Yeah, no, I hope so. I when Rick when Great Khan did get a pin, that was obviously my immediate thought as well. But he didn't go for the belt after the match. He didn't seem to tease Ricky Knight Jr. So I don't know. Uh, although it does seem odd for RKJ to take the pin, considering he was the only champ, like you know, FTR champions as well. But I suppose you don't want Gabriel Kidd to necessarily lose and Showroom Rose and New Japan guy as well. So. RKJ is the only choice. Um, but yeah, it, it was just a fun ball to the wall, 10-man tag, nothing too serious, just lots of, uh, you know, lots of fun, explosive moments, big spots, uh, because you've got all these crazy guys in the ring that are so talented. Um, it's not anything. It, it, it's, it, yeah, it was just a fun 10-man tag match. Yeah, I, I liked how, like, obviously from the day before, Shota Umino had been finished, like, essentially finished in a fight, how pissed off and how intense he was mm-hmm. the following day as well. I kind of like that little iteration they had to it and then i thought that obviously the star of the show again for this match was gideon gray um just everything he did and being in the ring outside the ring he was like pleading with the fans at one point to help him and get him a towel and get him give him a water and right in front of me i, I this i think everything he does is incredible um i don't know how he hasn't been discovered for a, a larger audience before the last number of months, I suppose. Um, again, the pair of you obviously like, are significantly more familiar with me, but every time I've seen him now over those two days and kind of watching his content since then, I think he's absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, like, uh, then following that, we went into our semi main event. Um, or sorry, tr- not semi main event. We had Tanahashi and Tamatonga and Hikoleo face the Bullet Club again with Jay White, Anderson, and Gallows again. This is more or less the exact same match from the day before, and uh, without Jado and Gato. Um, and it was kind of glaring that this is going to be the case. Um, but it was a different finish today. It was about a 10-minute match again. majority of the match was spent around interaction with the crowd, having that kind of pantomime feel. Um, Gallows and Anderson every 10 seconds throughout the match, just going that to Hikuleo, obviously, who's just left them left the Bullet Club recently. But it was they were having so much fun. It was visible how much they were enjoying themselves. Um Carl Anderson was trying to get chance going, like Gallo's the best in the world, or that all this kind of stuff. Uh, Gallo's is the go, and all this. Yeah, it was like they seem to really just, they don't give a shit. They obviously don't care about being wrestlers, but they just want to enjoy themselves, everything they do. Um, and that did translate across the match as well, I thought. Um, the finish came when Tamatanga pinned uh, Luke Gallo's with a gun stun. Uh, and then following the match, Hiroshi Tanahashi brought Hikuleu. Tamatonga and the Never Openweight title and IWGP Heavyweight title gave the Never Openweight title to Hikuleo and IWGP title to Tamatonga, teasing that they'll be facing Carl Anderson and Jay White next. And that they're the kind of Tanahashi's given them the push that like, you guys are the you're going to take this forward. You're the two younger guys. You're going to guys um, to be challenged for these belts now, which which was a nice touch. Um, and again, it shows the kind of conscientious um thought between everything they're doing in new japan which i thought was nice and obviously going to lead into the match on monday night between tamatonga and carl anderson 
Yeah, it was kind of a nothing tag match again, but yeah. the, I did like the finish. It was kind of the moment where happens in every tag match in New Japan where everyone runs into the ring, does one match, that person falls out of the ring, then they turn around and someone else hits them with another move. And that's all happening, except it finished with Tamatonga hitting the gunstun on uh, Luke Gallows. And the gunstun's a great finish. Obviously, it's just the same as the RKO, but it's great as just a sudden finish. And you're never like, oh, well, that was a lame finish. You're always, it's such a good, impactful move. Um, and then, yeah, the, it was really all about the post-match. Uh, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallo, uh, Carl Anderson and uh, Jay White tried to run in a cheap shot. Yeah. Jay White and uh, Jesus Christ, Jay White and Carl Anderson tried to run in a cheap shot. Uh, Tamatonga and Hikaleo. <laughs> Hikaleo hits the choke slam on Carl Anderson. Tamatonga hits the gun stun on Jay White. And then, yeah, like Mark said, Tanahashi gives them the belts and they parade around with the titles. Um, we know we've got Tamatonga versus Jay White happening on Monday. And then they've since announced that Hikaleo is challenging for the never overweight title. Uh, Battle Autumn Tour. Uh, I'm not sure which day or anything like that, but yeah, uh, you know, they just sowing the seeds for future title, for future title matches like they do in all tag matches, really. Yeah, like much of the life of the day before, it was good, it was good fun match, good pantomime kind of crowd interaction match, send the crowd home happy type vibes. Following match then, following that was uh, Kazushika Okada versus the big dude, big teats Tito. Is that is it big teats Tito or big teats? Big teats. Uh, again, there's an eight minute match. Okada won with the Rainmaker. Um, Quick match, Okada. Like again, Okada seemed to his entrance seemed to be as important as the match itself. Like seeing Okada, his interaction, the robe he was wearing, and, and whatnot. Um, it's a good spot for Tito. Um, you see that he obviously has potential for doing huge things in New Japan. Um, it was kind of a sudden, quick finish, quick match. Um, but it was good to see kind of him in that spot in that position. And hopefully, that's a sign of things to come. How well he's held in regard in New Japan. Um, yeah, like it was, it was enjoyable. Without having a huge amount of expectation, I think everybody kind of assumed that Okada would win. It'd be a quick enough, kind of simple enough match, and it was, yeah, it was thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, the fact it was only eight minutes was very surprising. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't remember the last time Okada wrestled a match so short, if ever. Um, <laughs> and then you know, the next match does go almost twenty, but I suppose that's a more important match in the grand scheme of things. Like it is Kazuchika Okada, he, he should kind of be able to put away a guy like Bad Dutito at this time quite quickly, I suppose. Um, but you got everything you wanted. You know, you got. A rainmaker reversal into like a blue thunderbomb. You got a rainmaker pose. You got him actually hitting the rainmaker. Uh, I'm never a fan of when they send guys like all the way across the world and you don't get to see them hit their finisher. Like, yeah, it's always a bit weird to me. Um, yeah. like El Desperado in the opening match, he won with a roll up on Rob BX instead of hitting yeah. El Pinche Loco. Uh, yeah. it's like, come on, man, like give us that much at least. Maybe, like, you know, someone yeah. can break up the pin, whatever, but give give us the finishers. That may have been in, in terms of Robbie X as like a, a British guy didn't want to. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just yeah, something small like that, which might have been like a yeah, gesture yeah. on, the, on New Japan's part. But um, no, I completely agree. Like, I, like I love the way Big Tito hits that Blue Thunder bomb. Um, it's actually incredible. And then getting to see Okada's drop kick in person. Like I know Jameis and a few other our colleagues from uh, our Body Slam team have done podcasts around drop kicks and like numerous different podcasts about how good <laughs> Okada's drop kick is in particular. Which is fair enough, fair play, Jameis. Um. But yeah, I've seen that in person. How athletic, how clean, how crisp it was. It was it was brilliant. Um, yeah. Then we're on to semi-main and arguably the best match of the night. We had Tomohiro Ishii uh, beat Yoda Suji in 17 minutes. Uh, he won with the Brain Muster, which was an incredibly back and forth match and far significantly more even contest than I thought it would be. Um, there was huge, very close near falls throughout. Um, I thought Tomohiro Ishii seemed to put in a huge amount of effort into this, and more so than I've been accustomed to when i've seen him live uh, i've seen him live in america and like sometimes you can because he's an, an elder gentleman he can sometimes appear to be going through the motion but i thought he was absolutely incredible in this um 
And yeah, the back and forth contest, it was quite rightly given a standing ovation at the end of the match. Uh, it was brilliant, thoroughly enjoyable. Again, I had, I had zero expectations going into that and exceeded everything I had. Yeah, I think if look, I'm not as high on this as other people are, in all honesty, um, but, you know, it's good for the discourse. Uh, I think if you are very accustomed to and know the issue formula, it's exactly what you're going to expect. But the issue formula does work so much better in person uh, because, you know, usually a wrestler wrestles an issue style match, you know. No matter yeah. who it is, you know, you know what well, you're going to get the moments where Ishii's going to take a suplex and he's going to stand up from it and he's going to scream and yeah, he's going to yeah. charge in and they're going to suplex each other. Um, but it, it, sometimes I like fall in love with it and sometimes I'm like, ah, come on. Um, yeah. But like the last five minutes of this really got me and it was when Suji really got going when he was like trying to hit the spear but couldn't. He yeah. hit a, a tope of some type over to like, you know, he pulled yeah. out a, a, a Hurricane Rana, which people are shocked to see because Suji is such a big guy. Um, but he's always said that he wished he like when he wanted when he was a young lion, every every backstage comment he'd be like, Send me to Mexico, send me to Mexico, send me to Mexico, and the poor <laughs> fucker got sent to Portsmouth. Yeah, um, you know, ah, so yeah. he, he's incorporating this and it makes him stand out so much, like that he's hitting a Hulkamana, that guy of his size is hitting a massive type over the top rope. Um yeah. but yeah, I thought like the last few minutes when it really got going, when issue kind of it, it stopped being an issue match and just started becoming kind of, like them gelling more, I really loved it. Yeah. I, I, sorry, in the interest of uh, full transparency for everybody watching this, at this point, I had a, fly, I had a flight at 10 o'clock uh, from Heathrow Airport to get back to Dublin. Uh, and now being London, I know me being a simple man from Ireland, I wasn't aware that it takes two hours to get anywhere around London. Um, I had about one, I had, I, so at the end of the conclusion of this match, I spent about 10 minutes or the remainder of my battery on my phone trying to learn off which trains I'm getting off at, which train station, which the, which line, Jubilee, Victoria, Waterloo, and how I'm getting home to, uh, to Sunny Ireland uh, in Heathrow Airport. So I'd leave at the end of that match. Um, and then following that, the main event we had, Naito against Zack Sabre Jr. This is, a, from what I'm told, it's a 21-minute match. Um, and he, after hitting a series of Destinos, uh, he earned a US title shot opportunity, and I've seen from photos online, he had a nice moment to send the crowd on happy with the other members of LIJ. Um, now, Kieran, obviously, like, as I wasn't privy to, unfortunate enough to view it, uh, what were your thoughts of this match? Did it, was it a good fitting conclusion for the weekend? Was it surprising that Naito pinned Zack Sabre Jr. in his home country? Um, and what do you think like the end goal of this whole thing was? I don't think it's surprising. I think people kind of did see it as it was always going to be Zack Sabre Jr.'s time to win and everything. But also, we've had Zack versus Osprey a lot, like over the years in New Japan. Uh, Naito and Osprey had an amazing match in the G1 this year, uh, you know, and I kind of felt like they kind of held back for that as well, um, as amazing as that was. Uh, it was amazing. Like from the entrances, you know, Zack Sabre Jr.'s, you know, everyone's going crazy for him. And uh, Naito comes out and the full gear, the coat and everything. Um, Naito's like telling Red Shoes to lift the ropes up for him so he can enter and Red Shoes go to do it and Zach pulls him away. It's like, no, you're not allowed to help him. Um, you know, <laughs> the first five minutes literally are just them winding each other up, like we said, just back and forth, chatting shit, bickering. Uh, you can hear everything Zach says because it's such a small venue and luckily I was front row. Um, and then, you know, yeah, the match got, gets going and like I say, I don't think that there's not many wrestlers have better chemistry than them too. If that comes from the way they interact with each other to the actual wrestling itself and they've got so much history. Um, it was an amazing match. Like the benefit of being front rows, you can see Zack Sabre Jr. do his thing properly. Uh, you know, if you've got heads in front of you, it can be kind of difficult to watch a Zack match because so much of it is on the floor. Yeah. Um, but no, they they went, they done it. It wasn't perhaps the best, their best match. You know, if you've seen a Zack versus Naito match, you'll probably know what's coming with this one. What makes it different is the crowd. 
uh, huge fuck the Tories chant during the middle of the match. Um, you know, Naito, of course, doing his uh, where he pretends to do a dive and then he does a roll in the middle and he lays there and puts the fist up. Uh, Zach copying that and taking the piss and just flipping uh, flipping Naito off over and over instead. Um, and I did I did like the ending. Like, yeah, it was kind of weird. You expected Zach to win, but Naito had done his best in English and he said, uh, you know, did you enjoy both nights? Uh, do you guys know De Ha Pon? Do you guys know the chant? And he's like, okay, let's do it all together because he, he can't do it in Japan as well. He has yeah, not been down to yeah, do it for yeah. years. Um, so I do like the fact that they gave us that, especially because I was at Wrestle Kingdom t- uh, 14. And, you know, it was when Kenta interrupted the chant. And I'm sat there in my Tokyo Dome seat. I'm all excited, fucking like, yeah, Deha, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I got to join in a proper Deha Pon chant and Naito clearly loved it. The crowd all joined in. And like you said, Hiroma and Sonata were there for it as well. Uh, it, re- it did really send the, the crowd home happy with that final chant. Brilliant. Uh, was there was there kind of was there much shock in the audience around you as, as I feel like you'd be more tuned in for the expectations of who's going to win that match? Was there kind of shock or like surprise in the audience when seeing Naito beat Zack Saber Jr. in his home kind of homecoming? Maybe, yeah. I mean, not so much around me yeah, straight away, but you know, it it was never nothing is ever in wrestling, yeah. especially New Japan. You know, like def- definitive that this person is going to win. Um, and I never felt it was the obvious case that Zach would win. I like the fact that he was getting this big hometown homecoming and he was in the main event and that was kind of enough. And New Japan aren't going to throw their books to the side just because it's, you know, Zach's hometown, because it's someone's hometown. They 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 think long term. Um, and Osprey versus Naito is definitely a lot more intriguing than another Zach versus, uh, Zach versus Osprey. Like, how many five-star matches have they had? Like, it's insane how good those two guys are together, but there's a lot of fresh material to be had between United Empire versus LIJ, between Osprey and Naito. I hugely agree with that. Uh, sorry, yeah, Andrew, after you. Matthew, uh, give us your your sugar score or star score for both nights. I care unless you go first, yeah. I mean, I fucking loved it, man. I've been yeah. needing my New Japan fix. I'd say uh, <laughs> I'd say he's a Fords, yeah, four, four sugars. Yeah, I, I'd probably go the same, like, in terms of, like, the main event of night one, if I just saw that alone and nothing else, like that'd have been enough for me. Um, Breaking the sugar but, scale. Sorry, yeah, exactly, exactly. That'd have been uh, yeah, it went to brown sugars and all sorts at that point. But uh, <laughs> yeah, again, I'd probably cross both nights for four star four sugars. Um, that that encompasses like how well we were treated by all the the Rev Pro staff, everybody at the meet and greet, how well everybody interacted with fans beforehand, during the show, after the show. Um, as a two day experience, like it was just good clean fun and like there's so many things as takeaways that like you were kind of buzzing with over the last week or for me in particular anyway like i i went into wrestling training a couple of days this week and i was let's go i love wrestling now but uh <laughs> it was abs- it was absolutely amazing and i absolutely love four four sugars for me excellent uh one last question robbie x rkj michael oku do we think they could make a super junior appearance I think Michael Oku, I've, I've, do you know what? Michael Oku, I never used to be a, a big fan of. Like, I, he didn't do it for me. And I've got to say, I've really turned the corner with him like the past year. Like, I actually really love him to bits. Uh, and I think he might struggle the most to get over with a Japanese audience because I think so much of him isn't that he's great in the ring, but that's not where he's like, what, what, what makes him special? He's special because he can connect with the audience. Mm. And I wonder, can he do that with a Japanese audience that can't understand him, that doesn't have the history and everything like that? Whereas Robbie X is a bit more flashy. Um, I'd say RKJ out of three of them is, would probably be the least likely for me. Um, but out of all three of them, the one I'd want to see most is Michael Oku for sure. 
Yeah, I'd probably, probably say the same. Again, I saw Michael Oku of WrestleCon in Dallas. He was making an appearance there. He was very impressive in the ring, but I wasn't quite sure what to make of him. Like The appearances I've seen him since then, he has been incredibly impressive. Um, and I, I think I, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Robbie X just from his kind of seeing him live with OTT so frequently. Um, but yeah, I think either of those for me would, would I, I think would possibly have the possibility of kind of going a bit further in the Super Junior Tournament. Um, but Ricky Nice so young as well, you wouldn't know how, how far he'll progress as well. What what his potential is bang on right now i'll try and get through night two well the final night night three of the wxw tournament kicked off with michael knight yes you heard me correctly michael knight is a wrestler in germany they love them some david hasselhoff uh he was facing lawrence uh roman who is a member of ambos and uh michael oh no lawrence roman came away with a big win here over michael knight via a uh Crossface. Then it was the the actual uh, World Tag Team Festival night two proper. CDK and the French and Pretty Deadly wrestled a fifteen minute draw that got a stand innovation. And I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone for a time limit draw actually receive a stand innovation. It was just that bloody good. Massa is so great. Uh, so is Brooks. So is Maggot. So is Ahura. Uh, Sense of Alto and Aguil Blanc defeated Eric Young and the uh, Axel Tisca Sanity. And so with that win, they go through to the finals. In the. We then had Tristan Archer come out and Lavaniel finally come out and challenge him. They will be facing each other at the WXW anniversary show. Uh, Abba. Uh, Shigehiro Irie and Fuminori Abe were out once again, extremely popular. They defeated Rotten Flot. Rotten Flot were eliminated from the tournament and had their tag team titles stripped from them because the winners of the tournaments go on to win the titles. Uh, Irie and Abe again, another bloody stand innovation for their incredible performances. You then had Robert uh Dreiska and Icarus defeat. Uh, finances forever once again incredible match finances forever have got so over with the german audience they really appreciated their hard-hitting violent style they were just into every match and as i say stand innovation another one uh masha slamovich defeated killer kelly and masha slamovich will be the second ever woman to compete in the 16 character gold tournament as uh lufisto was the first to do it this year masha slamovich will now be competing in the 16 carat next year after this win over killer kelly speedball mike bailey then took on young hungarian uh superstar peter tahani and speedball mike bailey is so over where everywhere you go and i've never ever heard anyone be out cheered Till I heard this match, the uh, Peter Tahani, who's been uh, just blazing a trail for Hungary across uh, WXW for quite some time now, the audience have fallen in love with him. And they, yeah, there were more chance for Peter Tahani in this match than there were for Speedball Mike Bailey. I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. And they put on an excellent match, which Speedball Mike Bailey, of course, came away with the win. Uh, a quick fatal four way for four of the women that competed in the Femme Fatale earlier in the weekend. Ivor Koloski from Hungary, Ava Reverett, an American independent wrestler, 
Orsi, who is another Hungarian, and Michelle Green, who comes from Switzerland. I think she's been making waves in America recently. It was a great little uh, fatal four-way match that Ivor Kolosky got the win, and she'll be challenging uh, for the Women's Championship at a later match. Then it was the finals of the tournaments. It was Senza Volto versus Agil Blanc uh, against Robert Dreisker and Icarus of uh, Ambos. And another phenomenal match. Uh, Robert Dreisker almost kills me when he speared Agil Blanc into the uh, chairs. I literally got out of the way in the last second or I would have been a very squished little boy. But I, I can't say how good the WXW as a whole. The whole weekend was so amazing. This show, the audience added so much to it because it was a smaller audience than night one and night two. But they made just as much noise. They literally gave every single match a stand innovation. They went into every little bit of the night's action. And I just can't believe how great of a weekend it was. Oberhausen is a lovely city. I spent a night, uh, two nights in Cologne as well afterwards, which was super amazing. I would give the final night a good four sugars uh, and give the whole weekend as a whole four and a half sugars just because of how well I was treated, how friendly everybody was at the shows. Uh, you, you know, just such a great cooperative community of people who just went there to enjoy an amazing weekend of wrestling. And uh, you had some guys like man like Doris who made his world card debut. He absolutely killed it. LJ Cleary had a fantastic match. I met uh, O'Shea Edwards and I had an old O'Shea Edwards top that I brought to the show, uh, the big bad kaiju. And he had seen me with a picture of it. It's a bit worn and whatnot. And he gave me a free T-shirt. So I, I, you know, I cannot get over how amazing everybody really, really was, uh, and just what an amazing weekend it is. I'm just going to let our producer know that we have finally wrapped up and finished this uh, amazing uh, review show. Thank you guys for coming on today. I really enjoyed listening to your guys' review of NJPW show. I look forward to being able to see it on NJPW on demand, of course, and. Uh, the WXW shows are starting to become available on WXW now uh, as we speak, and they will be available on the WWE Network, I think, within two to three weeks. And, uh, yeah, guys, uh, uh, give out your details so people can follow you. Yeah, you, Kieran, yeah. Yeah, uh, at Kieran RH93, um, <clears throat> the third iteration of the at Kieran RH account after my war with TVSR here. Uh, and uh, at Wrestle In Wrestle I Double N, uh, I've got a podcast over there. A good group of people putting out uh, podcasts and columns and features. Uh, just a good vibes all around type place. Yeah, I just want to reiterate. Thanks very much, Kieran, for coming out of his way to give us this time this evening. I don't know we went probably well over what we anticipated, <laughs> but uh, no, it was a really decent overman. Uh, thanks very much for his company last weekend as well. Uh, you can find me at Wrestle Mobs on Twitter uh, if I'm not blocked by anybody. So yeah, uh, <laughs> you, can find, you can find me in Fight Factory Pro Wrestling as well. That's excellent. And of course, you can follow me on my details there. It's the at GBOtaku82, as well as the podcast at TNTightsPod. Don't forget to follow all the Bodyslam.net uh, contributors. There's some fantastic podcasts on our YouTube channel and on your Apple and 
every other place you find a good podcast, but also follow the Jonas Podcasting Network. It's an amazing group of typically British-based uh, podcasting uh, community, and uh, but they do, you know, podcasts for every bit way of American wrestling, independent wrestling, and uh, professional wrestling. So, with that said, I think I think we're about wrapped up, aren't we? All from me. Thanks very much again, Andy. Thank you very much, Kieran. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. Thank you very much. And I know it's uh, Jameson.